Good morning. He is risen and he is risen indeed. I want to welcome you to our online services here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning on this Easter Sunday morning. And we gather together today to do what we as Christians do on Easter Sunday morning. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that uh, this is an Easter Sunday like none other than any of us have ever experienced before. Um, in fact, just six weeks ago, the staff here at Ivy Creek, along with myself, we were all meeting together talking about the services that we were going to be having today. And I, I can't imagine that any of us thought that a mere six weeks later, none of us would be meeting in person together on our church campus. We were, we were planning our sunrise service. We were talking about the breakfast that we traditionally have here that we were going to uh, prepare and, and serve for everyone. Um, the Ivy Creek Church Choir and Orchestra had, had worked hard to prepare uh, some new anthems that they were going to, to present. Uh, we were excited. We were anticipating uh, really a record crowd uh, at our, our church campus today. And I'm sure that we're not the only ones that, that have had everything changed for us. I'm, I'm sure that a lot of you out there had already purchased some new Easter outfits that you had planned on wearing today. Uh, many of you were probably celebrating and planning a celebration of family and friends coming over uh, to be able to celebrate Easter together. And I think it's safe to say that all of us have probably been upended by everything that's happened. We, everything has changed, and nothing that we had anticipated has really come about. Everything has, is different from the way that we had thought today would go. But I want you to understand that even though we have been upended, and even though our world has been turned upside down, that does not mean that God is not still in control. Uh, it does not mean that, that he has been caught off guard or that he has been surprised by anything. Rather, let me say to you this morning that, that God is still just as sovereign today as he has always been. And he is still bringing his plans to pass today. And he is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him, and those who are called according to his purpose. And the reason that I can stand before you and, and make such a confident claim Today is because I believe that the circumstances surrounding the very first Resurrection Sunday, well, I believe that there are a lot of similarities to the one that we are celebrating today. You see, that first Easter, well, it was marked by changed plans that were accompanied by evident disappointment and, and even sadness. In fact, I would even suggest to you that the words empty and disappointed and hopeless, those are appropriate words used to describe those who were closest to Jesus that first Easter Sunday morning some 2,000 years ago. You see, on that first Easter morning, there was no celebration. There was no singing of songs, just as even as we have done this morning. There was no joy. In fact, for those closest to Jesus... This The time that had elapsed between the point where Jesus had been crucified on the cross on Friday and till, to, to the moment that they had come together on Sunday morning, well, that time had been filled with disillusionment and gloom and sadness. 
You see, even though Jesus had told his followers that he would be crucified and that he would also rise again, they had not understood exactly what he meant. And therefore, they had not been able to comprehend everything that had occurred in their minds and from their perspective, the one in whom they had placed all of their hope had died. And that fact had caused a part of them to die as well. And as a result, many of Jesus' disciples were doing what a lot of us are doing today. They were, they were sheltering in place. But they were sheltering in place not because they were ordered to do so. And it was not because they were afraid of catching some virus. But many of them were sheltered in place and they were secluded because they were fearful. They were fearful that what had happened to Jesus might also happen to them. And the shock of what had occurred just two days prior had turned their collective worlds upside down. All four gospel writers actually give us an account of the dejection and the hopelessness and, 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 and everything that encompassed the lives of Jesus' disciples and friends. Each tells the story of what happened after Jesus was crucified. And from their different perspectives, we get a big picture glimpse, not only into what took place, but also into the hearts and into the minds of, of those who had lost their hope. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, we learn that one of Jesus' disciples was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And he requested the body of Jesus so that he could bury it. But because Jesus had been crucified so late into the day on Friday, that by the time that his body could be taken down from the cross, night was beginning to close in. And that night time on Friday marked the beginning of the Sabbath for the Jews. And so consequently, all that was normally done to prepare a body for burial could not be fully completed. And so late that good Friday afternoon, Jesus' body was hastily wrapped and and in some linen cloths and, and some, a small amount of spices was applied to it. And it was then taken and it was placed into a, a tomb in front of which was a large stone that had been rolled in order to block and to seal it up. And after this, Matthew tells us that Joseph of Arimathea departed the tomb area. But, but in chapter 27, verse 61, it tells us that Mary Magdalene, along with another woman who was also named Mary, that they sat there opposite of the tomb, speechless. You see, this was absolutely not what they had expected. And they were devastated and they were in shock. In, in Mark's gospel, we read that very early on Sunday morning, following the Sabbath, that those same two Marys, along with some other women, all got up very early that morning and they went back to the tomb so they could apply all of the spices to Jesus's dead body. You see, their love for Jesus compelled them to give him a proper burial. Certainly, this was not a joyful trip for them. Their only expectation was to find a cold, lifeless, stiff corpse lying in the tomb. The same tomb that they had watched him be buried in just two days prior. In fact, according to Mark, the women, they, their biggest concern was who was going, could they get to move the stone away so that they could get inside the tomb. And what you get from Mark's account is that like, like Matthew, you get a, a, a painting of, of gloom and sadness. Uh, 
and defeat. In Luke's gospel, he gives us a similar account to the things that occurred that morning with the women at the tomb. But then he also recounts the story of two two of Jesus' disciples who had left Jerusalem in despair. And they had traveled back to, they were going back to their home in the town of Emmaus on that first Easter Sunday. And they were dejected and they were utterly disappointed and they were talking among themselves about all that had occurred. And in their conversation, they revealed just how devastated they had been by the death of Jesus. They say in chapter 24, verse 21 of Luke's gospel, but we had hoped that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. You see, in their minds, Jesus' death had killed their hope. His death meant that the game was over and Jesus had lost and they had lost also. And then we come to John's gospel from which we will take our text this morning. And John zeroes his attention in back on Mary Magdalene and the experience that she has. And, and, and John tells us that in chapter 20 of, of his gospel that after arriving at the tomb and seeing that it was empty, that, that Mary immediately ran to where he and Peter had been sheltering in place, where they had been secluded. And she went there to tell them that when she had gone to the tomb, she found the stone had been rolled away and the body of Jesus had been stolen and taken away. And for her, that was not good news. Rather, it, was, it only compounded her grief because she interpreted what she saw to mean that Jesus' body had been stolen by, by someone. And John goes on to tell us that in her confusion and in her grief that Mary Magdalene made her way back to the tomb. She's devastated and she's disheartened and she's devoid of hope. And what I want you to understand is from all four of these different vantage points of that first Easter morning, you get this sense of, of anguish and you get a sense of pain and that, that hung over everything. There was no joy. There was no shouts of hallelujah. There was no, there was no great choirs who were singing Praise. Instead, what we encounter from the text is disappointment and discouragement and hopelessness. And for some of you, that may be the way that you feel on this Easter Sunday, 2020. Perhaps it's because of the, the coronavirus or its effects that have you feeling this way. Perhaps it's for another reason altogether. What I want you to know is that because of the resurrection, you have every reason to be hopeful today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you are going through, God is still sovereign. Christ is still risen and there is still reason for hope. So if you have your Bibles with you there in your homes, and I hope that you do, would you take them and turn with me to John chapter 20? I want us to read about Mary Magdalene's encounter with the resurrected Christ. And I want to present to you today the reason for why we should have hope. Beginning in verse 11 of John chapter 20, the word of God says this. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. 
Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we are so grateful that we can come together as believers and as those who are still trying to get our hands and minds wrapped around this day. And we can open your word and we can read the truth that is there. And we can expect for you to speak to us through your word. This is a word that is alive and it is active and it is still accomplishing exactly what you desire for it to do. It is still opening up minds and hearts to the truth of the gospel. And I pray that would be exactly what occurs today. Through my feeble attempt to try to explain this text, that this text would literally jump off the page and, and bring hope into hopeless lives. I pray that that would occur because of the power of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, who died for our sins, but did not simply remain dead, but rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And it is because of that that we can come together, even remotely as we find ourselves assembled today. But We can come together and we can unite our hearts together in the truth of knowing that Jesus is still the resurrected Savior, and because that's the case, we can have hope. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for this day to be able to celebrate it. And we praise you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. The scholar and, and pastor James Montgomery Boyce, he describes the story of Mary Magdalene's meeting with Jesus in the garden here on this first Lord's Day as, as one of the most moving and touching stories ever told. And I, I think he's right. You know, we don't know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene, but, but what we do know tells us just how important Jesus was to her and, and why she's so distraught and why she is so overwhelmed because of his death. Back in chapter 8 of Luke's gospel, we find that Mary Magdalene was a woman whom Jesus had healed of seven demons that had plagued her relentlessly. And because of Jesus' magnificent power and his infinite love, he had brought peace into her life, a peace that she had not known before. And I think that explains some of her emotional outbursts following his death. I mean, after all, how would you have felt if it had been you who had been delivered by, uh, from such demonic forces only to have witnessed the brutal killing of the person who had been so kind to you? Mary loved Jesus so much because of what he had done for her 
that even so much that even though now he was dead, she just wanted to be near him. Ever since he had changed her life, she had followed Jesus. But now that he was dead, what would she do? Where would she go? You can even begin to imagine she's thinking, what if those demons come back? What will I do? But to make matters worse, now she couldn't even find his body. The body was gone. She had watched it be placed into the tomb, but now it was nowhere to be found. And she's so grief stricken. She's so confused. She's so fearful. that Even though she sees two angels sitting inside the tomb, the magnitude of what she saw didn't register with her. She's beside herself. She's weeping uncontrollably. And in fact, it doesn't register with her when one of those angels asks her and says, woman, why are you weeping? In effect, she responds to the angel this way. She says, well, how can I do anything else but weep? They've, he's not here. I don't know where they've taken him. And once again, you can sense the confusion and, and the hopelessness in her life. In fact, she's so overwhelmed that she turns and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Instead, she mistakes him for the gardener. One author has noted that this is one of the greatest cases of mistaken identity ever recorded. In fact, many have wondered, why did she not recognize Jesus? But remember, Mary Magdalene didn't go to the tomb expecting to encounter a resurrected Christ, she had come there expecting to find his dead, lifeless body. Nevertheless, the risen Savior meets her there and he asks her the same question verbatim that the angel had asked. He says, woman, why are you weeping? And then he adds this, whom are you seeking? I think there's something ironic in the question that Jesus asks, it's as if he's pushing Mary to recognize something that up to this point she had been unable to see. It's as if the angel's question and, and Jesus's question were both designed not really to, for, for them to gain information that they didn't already know, but rather to help Mary recognize that in her tears and in her hopelessness that those things were unfounded. You see, Mary was weeping because she had found an empty tomb, which she interpreted to mean that Jesus was gone forever. But listen, the empty tomb, rather than being the source of disappointment and anxiety, should have been a source of great joy. And that actually leads me to the first point that I want you to note on the outline that you should have there. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing that I would have you to understand, is that is this, the resurrected Jesus brings hope. In this life, the resurrected Jesus brings hope in this life. You see, the question that Jesus asks Mary is similar to the, the question that the angels asked the other women who had remained behind when Mary had gone to get Peter and John. In Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse five, the angels asked those women, why do you seek the living among the dead? And then the angels go on to remind the women, he is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. You see, the empty tomb signaled not that his body had been stolen, 
but rather it signaled the fulfillment of what Jesus had promised would happen. That he would rise from the dead. And in light of that, then let me ask you this morning, what has caused you to lose your hope? Or as Jesus asked Mary, why are you weeping? Whom are you or what are you seeking to give you hope and to bring you joy? Maybe I could ask it this way. Are you seeking the living among the dead? Are you investing yourself in things that do not pay off and that will only leave you empty and disappointed? Are you chasing after things that you hope will bring you hope and will bring you joy and bring you fulfillment only to grasp those very things and to open your hands and realize that there's nothing there? Whom or what are you seeking to give you hope and to bring you joy? Let me say to you that based upon God's word, but also based upon my own personal experience and the experience of countless others, it is only the resurrected Jesus that will bring you hope in this life. Everything else will ultimately leave you empty and disillusioned and disappointed and hopeless. Let me also point out to you that If Mary Magdalene had found Jesus's body in that tomb, then she as well as us and the rest of the world would have every reason to weep and have every reason to be afraid and to lose hope. In other words, if she had found what she went to the tomb looking for, if the stiffened corpse of Jesus had been laying there when she arrived, then everything that she had trusted and hoped for would all have been in vain. And the same would be true for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In beginning in verse 14, he says this, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. In verse 17, he says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. But you see, to the contrary, because Christ is risen, then we know that our preaching is not empty and we know that our faith is not empty and it is not futile. We no longer remain in our sins. In fact, the German theologian Karl Barth said it this way. He says, the resurrection of Christ teaches us that our enemies, sin, the curse and death, they're destroyed. They may still behave as though the game were not decided, but ultimately they can cause no more mischief. We still have to reckon with them, but we need fear them No longer. What that tells us is that in this life, the resurrected Jesus replaces fear with hope. But that's not all. In fact, that's not even close to being all. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, The resurrected Christ not only brings us hope in this life, but the second point that I want you to note today is simply this. The resurrected Jesus brings hope in the life to come. He brings hope in the life to come. Jesus was just about to reveal this very truth to Mary Magdalene. But at this point, remember, she still doesn't recognize who Jesus is. She still supposes him to be the gardener. And so she asks him, 
if he had taken Jesus's body. And then she pleads with him in verse 15 to tell her where. And it's obvious that, that Mary is still seeing. She's not seeing things clearly and she's not thinking coherently. And her grief had gone to a whole new level. But, but mercifully, Jesus does not leave her there. Instead, he calls her by her name, Mary. I'd, I'd love to have heard the inflection in Jesus' voice when he called her by name. I would have loved to have heard how he said it. There had to be something familiar. There had to be something that, that, that got her. The, the truth is, we don't know how Jesus said her name. But what we do know, based upon what we read earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 10, is that Jesus describes himself as being the good shepherd. And he says, as the good shepherd, when he speaks, his sheep hear his voice and they know him and they will come to him and he will lead them. Well, here I want you to know that the good shepherd, the resurrected Jesus, he calls Mary's name and when he did, it jolted her out of her, her, her cocoon of her doldrums that she had been in. And, and her name spoken by his voice caused her to turn to him. And listen, from that point forward, everything changed. Let me just pause for a moment and say this to you today. Jesus knows your name too. In fact, according to the Bible, he knows everything about you. He knew, he knew you even before you were born. While you were still in your mother's womb. And do you know something else? Jesus is calling out to you today. He's calling your name just as much as he called Mary's name. The question is, are you listening? The question is, do you hear him? And how will you respond to him? I want you to notice how Mary responded. As soon as Jesus called her name, Mary immediately threw herself down at his feet and cried out, Rabboni, which John interprets for us means teacher. And then she, she suddenly realized exactly who he was. And when she heard her name called, Mary realized that Jesus was no longer dead. And she, she suddenly realized that his body had not been stolen as she had supposed. And then her tears of grief were doubtlessly turned to tears of joy. Suddenly she realized that, that, that the, the thing that she had feared the most, that, that he had been taken away from her and she would never see him again, was, was unfounded. And now what she realized to be true was that Jesus had risen from the dead and he was alive. And now the resurrected Jesus was standing right in front of her and her hope in life was restored. And she was so overjoyed by what she now understands that she evidently grabs Jesus and she, she hugs him so tightly as if to say, you're never going to get away from me again. I'll never lose you again. But Jesus stops her and tells her not to grab onto him, not to, to cling to him. And I couldn't help but think about that this week and and think about the fact that this is a biblical example of social distancing. But listen, Jesus wasn't telling Mary that she needed to stay six feet away from him. 
He wasn't telling her that, she, that he couldn't be touched because he was afraid that she would give him some sort of virus and infect him in some way. No, in fact, later in this chapter, in John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus invites Thomas to come and to touch him, touch his hands, touch his, the, the wound in his side. So if that's the case, then what did Jesus mean when he, he said these words to her here? Well, listen, scholars have long debated these words, but this is what I believe that, that Jesus is communicating to Mary. I believe he's telling her, look, you don't have to grab on to me as if I'm going to disappear. But at the same time, you must recognize that while I am still here in the flesh at the moment, a time will come when I won't be. And I must ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Therefore, you can't keep holding on to me. And here's the major point that I want you to take note of. You see, what Jesus says here tells us that the drying of Mary's tears and the restoration of her hope was not just for the present. It was not only temporal. It was not only for the here and now, but even more importantly, it was eternal. Jesus is, is predicting his ascension. He's pointing to the fact that he would soon leave and go back to heaven, back to the, his home with the Father. In fact, only days earlier, Jesus had taught his disciples in John 14, verses 22 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What Jesus said to his disciples and what he confirmed to Mary was that through his death and resurrection, he not only conquered sin, he not only conquered death and hell, but he's also telling that the lasting effects that those things had upon his children would one day be finally corrected. In other words, the hope that the resurrected Jesus brings to us is that everything that is currently warped will one day be straightened. Everything that is currently damaged will one day be made whole. Everything that is currently torn apart will one day be mended. And I want you to know such a truth should encourage you. It, it should bring you hope. You see, there may be things that are going on in your life, circumstances that are beyond your control, that bring sorrow to your heart and tears to your eyes things that may tempt you to slip into fear and to lose your hope. But what you need to see today is that the testimony of the gospel is that you and I can have joy in the midst of all of those things because the resurrected Christ offers hope for us not only in this life, but in the life to come. Look, none of us ever want to go through seasons of, of hard times in our lives, but when they do, when those times come, we must recognize that they have a way of making us ask some very poignant questions. Questions like, what is it that I'm really counting on? What am I truly hoping in? Is it my finances? Is it my, my job? Is it a relationship? Is it my health? Am I building my life on a foundation that is solid enough 
that circumstances beyond my control cannot take my hope and my joy away? You know, over the last six weeks or so, all of us have had to grapple with those questions and others like them. And I believe that is why this Easter, this Easter 2020 is so absolutely important for us as believers and as those who are seeking to understand why the, the, the Christians and why the church comes together at this point. Listen, it, this is a time for us to remember that the resurrected Christ is the only hope capable of sustaining us through everything we face in this life and the life to come. And while when everything else has been stripped away, the only hope that will endure is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and was raised on the third day and is alive forevermore. John Ortberg has, has written this. He says, for the past 2,000 years, people have not joined their hearts and voices together to celebrate the fact that the stock market has risen or that the dollar has risen or that the employment rate has risen or that the gross domestic product has risen or that even that your 401k has risen. While all of those things may be good and they produce good results, there is only one thing one hope that has held human beings across every continent and every culture for two millennia of difficult times of poverty, disease, pain, hardship, and even death itself. And that is this, that Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. And I want you to know this morning, that is what leads me to my sermon in a sentence, which is this. Easter Sunday is a day of rejoicing because the resurrected Jesus brings hope both now and forever. That is the hope that Mary Magdalene grasped onto that first Easter Sunday. And it is the hope that is available to you and to me today as well. But I must be crystal clear about this fact. You see, the scriptures tell us that only those who trust in Jesus can claim that hope. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And therefore, I must ask you today, have you trusted in Jesus? Is he Lord of your life? Has he called out your name and have you answered him by falling down in humility before him? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness before him and asked him to forgive you of your sins and to save you from the judgment that will be coming against you because of those sins? Is your confidence for eternity resting solely in the death and the resurrection of Jesus? If you cannot answer those questions affirmatively, then I want to say to you, you have every reason to weep today. You see, apart from the resurrected Jesus, you stand unprotected from God's divine judgment upon sinners. And those who face eternity, having never been united to the resurrected Jesus by faith, will die hopeless. But the good news of Easter 
is that the resurrected Jesus offers you hope. The Bible teaches that he came to die as your substitute, to suffer the penalty of your sins in your place. And he not only died in your place, he rose again in order to defeat death. And therefore, you do not have to weep. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to remain hopeless any longer. If you will confess your sin and place your trust in Christ today, then you can rejoice because he has provided you with a way to not only escape judgment, but through his resurrection, he also provides you with abundant life, not only for today, but for all eternity. If you have never taken that step of faith, would you do that today? Right where you are, you can simply bow your head and you can pray, God, I know that I am a sinner and I know that there is nothing that I could ever do to atone for my sins and pay the debt that my sins demand. So I ask you to save me from my sins because of what Jesus has done for me. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and paid my debt. And I believe that he rose again on the third day and that he is my only hope for salvation. Jesus, I ask you to become the Lord of my life and I want to live my life for you. Now, listen, if you if you prayed that prayer from your heart, I want you to know that everything has changed for you. And today is truly a day of rejoicing. You know, the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven Rejoice when one sinner repents. And I want you to know that we as a church family here at Ivy Creek, we want to rejoice with you. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, and if you have committed your life to following Christ, would you let us know? You can do that by, by calling the number that Pastor Ted gave to you earlier. It's going to come up on the screen again here in a minute. But that number is 470 470- 238-8862, 470-238-8862. You'll be prompted when you call that number to leave a message. Do that. Tell us that you have prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and leave us a way to be able to contact you. You know, one of the pastors here will get back in touch with you very soon. We will pray with you. We want to talk to you about what the next steps should be as you follow Christ. Maybe at some point in your past, you have trusted in Christ to save you. Perhaps you once had a vibrant relationship with Jesus. But if you're honest, things feel very distant now. Maybe you've allowed other priorities or other pursuits or perhaps you've allowed areas of sin to grow in your life to the point that you no longer feel connected to the Lord the way that you did way back when. If that is the case, then I want you to know that the resurrected Jesus still calls your name. He calls you to return to him, to rekindle the flame that, of that relationship that you once had. So I ask you, will you pray today and confess that to the Lord? Will you repent of whatever it is that you've allowed to bring separation between you and him? And will you ask him to restore you? If that's your prayer, and you'd like for one of the pastors to pray with you about that, to, to be able to come alongside you and to encourage you in that decision to, to 
recommit your life to following Christ, then you also can call that same number, 470-238-8862. One of us will contact you back. You may also choose to use one of the response cards, the, the digital response cards that you find there on our website that's been made available to you. If you'll fill that out, if you'll submit it, some of us, one of us will contact you back. Here's what I want you to know as we draw this service to a close this morning. I know that many of us are tired of having to shelter in place. I know that we may be weary of the restrictions that we are currently facing. And quite frankly, I share those feelings with you. But as our study this morning has revealed, while there is no hope in empty office buildings, there's no hope in empty roads. There's no hope in empty shelves at the grocery store. And I confess to you, there is not much hope in looking out across an empty sanctuary this morning. Here's what I want you to know. There is immeasurable hope in an empty tomb. In fact, only a living Savior who has triumphed over the grave offers hope for our sorrows. And consequently, Easter Sunday, well, it's a day of rejoicing because the resurrected Jesus is our sole source of hope, both now and forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come to you this morning, we acknowledge that there is much about which we do not know. We do not know what the future may bring. Father, none of us expected that we would be celebrating Easter this way just a few weeks ago. And so we just confess that we can't say how things are going to be but we do know this you have given us your word upon which we can stand and upon which we can be sure and it is it is rock solid and the rock solid testimony of your word is that you have come to die in the place of sinners just like me and just like everyone else who is watching this morning and you died in our place so that we might be made right with God, so that our lives might be reconciled to God. But your death was not the end of the story because just as we celebrate this morning, you rose from the dead and an empty grave is there to prove that our Savior lives. Because he does live, we know that we can face whatever tomorrow may bring. Because our confidence is not in tomorrow and the circumstances that come there. Our confidence and our hope comes in the resurrected Christ who gives us abundant life today but also promises us the abundant life of eternity. And we thank you for that. And we praise you for that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. <laughs>